Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Command Zone. We're back. I'm Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. And we are here for our continued coverage of the Commander 2018 product. It's been awesome so far. It's been so cool. Yeah. So we are looking at another of the uh, new decks. We're looking at the Estrid Bant deck. You I, call, I, I yeah, like to call it Bant Chantments. Bant Chantments. The yeah. Bant Chantments deck. What's it called? It's called... Adaptive enchantment. Okay, so enchantments. <laughs> so yeah, uh, DJ, you kind of spearheaded this deck and uh, broke it all down for everybody. We're gonna do the same thing we've been doing for the other decks. So you know, we've had an en- H- have we had a real enchantment enchantress deck before? I mean, I know like Melissa Detora on game nights, she used um, Karametra. Karametra, one of the gods. One of the gods. The gods are enchantment creatures. That's. No, it's just it just is a god. It it doesn't really synergize with it. Didn't, it doesn't say the word enchantment in the text box. It says it as like a card type, but Yeah, and we we have auras, you know, auras matter kind of generals. That's something. That's true. But really, we haven't gone really deep into enchantments and Melissa might be excited because maybe she might add blue to her deck. Yeah, she gets a full color and the best color. That's great. That does seem great. So we're going to break this down, but before we get into it, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsors. You're going to hear about a lot of cards on this episode, uh, a way to you know, upgrade this deck quickly. And in fact, the deck itself can be pre-ordered right now if you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Use that affiliate link when you order your cards, your products, your singles, anything at all. You really are supporting this podcast, our channel, game nights, and all of our content. You can do that stuff anyway. Just use the affiliate link when you do, and you really are helping us out. And uh, another thing to check out while you're at Card Kingdom or at your LGS or anywhere at all, you want to protect your cards, you want to protect your stuff, you don't want to play on dirty tables. If you want the best card sleeves around, Ultra Pro makes not only the Eclipse sleeves, but all of the themed stuff that goes along with Commander 2018 or Dominaria or every set, basically. They get the license agreement to have the characters printed on the sleeves, on the playmats, on the deck boxes. So if you're going to build an Estra deck... Or... I think you want a playmat with literal crystal masks that you can see of like wolves and screaming people on it. <laughs> this commander this... is awesome and this playmat is so cool. I think this playmat is the best of the bunch for the new stuff because the blue mask just pops so good out of the dark background. It does look awesome. So Ultra Pro, killing it as always. Uh, one other thing we've mentioned lately is that we've gotten these new banners that... Uh, have come out from Ultra Pro. So if you want something cool to hang in your game room or at your house or wherever, Ultra Pro is the one to go to. I, you're doing the meteorologist thing. It's harder than it looks, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and the final way to support the show is directly. If you go to patreon.com slash command zone, you can contribute right to us. And patrons do get a lot of uh, awesome benefits. The coolest one, I think, is you get to see game nights uh, earlier than anybody else. And in fact, the next game nights will be about Commander 2018. It's coming out in early August. If you want to see that early, just go to com- or patreon.com slash command zone and sign up there. And the other thing we do for patrons, well, one of the other things, is we call out a lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Gustavo, Gustavo Gandia. Gustavo, you rock. Good job. Okay, so... Let's get into this Bant Champments oh, deck yeah. here, which you've uh, been so awesome to break down for us. DJ, 
Um, quick note, as with all the other decks, we're talking about, this is really aimed at people who are picking up the pre-con and just want to make a few quick changes, somewhere around 10 cards, just to sort of upgrade it, bring it up to speed so you can very quickly pull it out against real other commander decks. So we're not talking about a complete from scratch deck or a, a huge overhaul of the deck. And for this exercise, we're not dealing with mana base. Um, mostly the, the mana bases in the decks will work fine for you. Can they be upgraded? Yes, but that's pretty easy for you to do, at least on a basic level, um, without diving too deep. And also, we are going to consider budget maybe more than we normally do on the show. We're going to not talk about any cards that we would add that are above $25. And for the most part, we're going to try and keep most of the cards below $5. Just, again, this is all about sort of a quick upgrade out of the box and then get it out there on the battlefield and play with it as fast as possible. Because I know when I get my hands on the pre-con deck, I just want to play it. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to spend like three days brewing a deck yet. I'll do that later. Oh, yeah. And and also, you might want to play it straight out of the box against other pre-cons, but then oh, you're yeah. like, I want to bring it to my Commander Knight too. So that's why you might want to punch the power level up a little bit with a few quick swaps. Okay, so... Let's figure out what this deck is trying to do. Yeah, let's talk, uh, let's talk about the coolest part of all of these decks are the new commanders. Absolutely. All right, do you want to start with... Yeah, I want to start with Estrid. Estrid the headliner. Estrid the Masked. One green, white, blue for a three loyalty planeswalker. Planeswalker type Estrid. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> oh, come on. That's an awesome name. Listen, if Thanta should be a Mantis, shouldn't Estrid be Esper? Just saying. She's banned. You're right. I, I guess you're right. <laughs> okay. Just throwing shade for no reason. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Plus two. Uh, untap each non-land permanent. I'm going to read from this thing. <laughs> We've learned. We've, I've learned. We've adapted. We've learned. There are lights and there's... Okay, no. I'm not even going to... Okay, plus two. Untap each enchanted permanent you control. Okay. Untap each enchanted permanent you control. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, minus one. Create a white aura enchantment token named Mask attached to another target permanent. The token has enchant permanent and totem armor. Okay, so first of all, so you create a mask... It attaches to another target permanent, so you can't attach it to Estrid. Not Estrid, yeah. Is it permanent? Yeah. Okay, so any permanent. And totem armor, what totem armor is, is uh, kind of like a shield. So if something has an an aura with, an, with totem armor on it, on it, then if it would be destroyed, you remove all damage from it and instead destroy the totem armor thing. You got it. So the mask kind of goes on to something, and then if that thing would be destroyed... The mask. It's like a regeneration shield, goes, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we did clarify this with um, Eli Schifrin, who's the sort of authority right now from Wizards of the Coast on magic rules. And if you enchant a planeswalker with a mask and the planeswalker gets attacked and brings its loyalty down to zero the mask doesn't help you with the loyalty problem. So the mask we'll, tries its hardest. It basically says, oh, we'll sacrifice the mask and this permanent won't die except for it's still at zero loyalty. Right. So state base of X says it dies anyways. So it doesn't work very well on planeswalkers. It would still save it from like ruinous path. Um, Heroes downfall. Heroes downfall. What's dread? Uh, Dreadbore? Is that one? Yep, Dreadborn. Yeah, so it would save it from those, but it won't save it from, like, damage from a creature. The mask won't. Still, a mask seems really powerful to me, especially if you consider, like, an enchantment. If you Because usually totem armor could only go on creatures. Yeah. Now we can do it on 
artifacts, enchantments, lands. Ooh, that seems pretty good. Yeah, especially enchantments. It's, there's not a ton of stuff that exiles in enchantment. So now you, you know, if you have a really powerful enchantment out and you put a mask on it and a deck that's going to play a lot of enchantments, that seems like pretty well protected. Yeah, it seems very good, defensive, make sure to protect everything. Josh's plan is to put masks on all of his lands and then Armageddon. That's his, that's his plan. He's you got to have a lot of evil. turns of minusing Estrid. You really could only do it three times because then she's dead. Uh. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the ultimate because sure. we, we haven't even talked about all of the things. We got so excited about masks that we Well, just, it's such an interesting we thing. We haven't seen anything quite like that before, I don't With think. totem armor exists, but this idea to just put totem armor on anything is yeah. so cool. Yeah. Okay, minus seven. Uh, put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard. Return all non-aura enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then do the same for aura cards. Okay. So the, all the enchantments come back, and then the auras come back afterwards. Oh, so, so that, that they can attach can, them to something. If you have something that you need to attach it to, you got There's something, something there. there. Got yeah. it. Okay. So it's a negative seven. She comes out with three. It's a plus two. So it goes three to five to seven, then ultimate. Then do it. Yeah, I think it's about as doable as the others. Trust me, in most normal games, it's going to be very difficult. Unless this is a deck that could run doubling season and probably would. Um, that's a way to do it. Doubling season is an enchantment. Yeah, so I would mask that enchantment up. That's a pretty good one to <laughs> like, mask. I will protect that. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd have to have Estrid out when doubling season is out. In which case, I guess she doesn't. If you play doubling season and then play her, she's only got six loyalty. So even then, you're still. A turn away. I'm just yeah, saying. you're right. You're right. Um, okay, so she seems interesting. She seems interesting. She seems like she's sort of encourages a lot of dirtling, a lot of protection, maybe some untapping shenanigans. I mean, that part is very powerful. We know from Teferi and things, and it says all enchanted permanents you control. It, the question is, what are you doing? Like putting the enchantments on that untapping it matters. So lands obviously is a good one. We're yeah, gonna talk lands. about some of this stuff later. Creatures. Um, I mean, she puts enchantments on stuff, so you could theoretically uh, minus her to put a mask, mask on, on your something. soul ring, and then plus her to get two extra mana. The that's next a turn. good point. That's a good point. I mean, that's a lot of hoops, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah, but it's it's a thing. It's interesting. Okay, okay so there's um, she's two, not the only commander though. Right. There's two other Bant commanders and one in Simic. So we'll read the other two Bant commanders. Uh, the first one is Kestia, the cult cultivator. Kestia, the cultivator. One and Bant. One green, white, blue. Four mana total for a 4-4. Four, four. Legendary enchantment creature nymph. And Be Kestia. I want to say Bestia because that's a restaurant in uh, Los Angeles. That is terrific, that by is the way. Great, if you're in LA, go to Bestia. Not end step. This is pre-step. Yeah. Go to Bestia. And go on a Sunday or Monday because that's when they have the pork chop. Trust me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Legendary enchantment creature nymph for four mana. She's a four four, but she has bestow for three and bant. So you pay three green, white, blue. And if you remember from the um, Theros days, bestow is if you cast this card for its bestow cost, then it's an aura spell with enchant creature, and it becomes a creature again if it's not attached to a creature. So it's sort of an aura, and then if the creature gets killed out from under it, it jumps off and becomes a creature. So it's kind of an aura that saves you from the downside of a lot of auras. Um, if you remember, this was really weird. <laughs> it was a weird rules interaction. We had to learn a lot. But now I'm really excited that we get this on a legendary creature because none of the other bestows were legendary. Yeah. Even even some of the ones that we really wanted to Carmanticore. be legendary. Yeah, everyone, some people play that in their command zone. 
I would let him. I'd let him too. It seems sweet. Yeah. But now yeah. we got a bestow commander right there. So it says enchanted creature gets 4-4, four, four, which is how the bestow creatures always work. Whatever their power and toughness is, they would be have an aura that would add that amount of power and toughness to the creature because they're kind of like on the back of the creature too. Um, <laughs> you got and, a nymph just like climbing right. on the back of you. And then it also says whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. So Kestia by herself, if she's the only thing out and she attacks, you'll draw a card because she's an enchantment creature. However, if you have another creature and it has an aura on it and they both attack, you'll draw two cards, correct? That sounds great. Yeah, and then, you know, on and on from there. So it's a bestow enchantment aura specifically commander. Like this doesn't care very much about non-aura enchantments. You don't get any special benefit for just regular enchantments. No. You want to have enchant, but enchantment creatures, maybe that could That's generate true. a lot of card advantage. Uh, I, I like drawing cards. And bestow is just a cool mechanic. So I'm happy to see a I general agree. that kind of cares about bestow in a weird way. So, okay. All right. We got Tuvasa, Tuvasa. the sunlit. Ooh. Uh, Tuvasa, the sunlit is green, white, blue for a one, one merfolk shaman. Three mana, one, one, huh? Yeah. Okay. By the way, this is a merfolk. Oh, like, are there are, are there a lot of people out there that are clamoring for, for a, bant a bant merfolk? Yeah, but they wanted to say all merfolk get plus one plus one. I know, one right? Or Let's see if it says it might say that. It might say all merfolk. Doesn't say that. Spoiler okay. alert: It does not say that. <laughs> Two boxes of the sunlit gets plus one plus one for each enchantment you control. Whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. Okay, so we've never had an quote unquote enchantress that lives in the command zone before. This is a little bit different because. You can't draw two cards in a turn off this. It's only when you cast your it's first only enchantment. only the first enchantment, yeah. So it's hard to sort of play four enchantments, draw four cards. If you could play on other people's turns, you could do it because it's each turn. True. So there's sort of a, oh, you got to jump through some hoops, obviously. But you get to you get to do it with my favorite card, Vidalcan Um But by the way, Leyline of Anticipation, being yeah. an enchantment and in blue is better in this situation. Well, I mean, I'd run both, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. Um, but... Leyline of Anticipation is free, Josh. That's a good it's point. Free. It Only, costs you nothing. It's not free if you draw it on turn three. I plan on having it in my opening <laughs> hand. I don't know what kind of deck he's planning. His plans are better <laughs> than my plans. Um, it's interesting. And it, it does pump itself. I mean, it does pump according to the enchantment. It does so. a good job of pumping itself because yeah. you might have incidental enchantments. I mean, this deck is filled with enchantments. Right. So you could theoretically play this and have it automatically be a 5, 5, 6, 6, 10, 10 I think pretty this easily. Is, this is better than it seems as just kind of a de facto enchantress that starts in your command zone and gives you access to three colors. I think it's, I think it's strong because it can be aggressive because it can get huge pretty easily and it draws you cards. That seems great. It plays down the um, the normal disadvantage to some auras and things too, where it's like they're going to most of the time replace themselves. So you're not as blown out if you play, you know, some kind of aura on Tuvasa and it gets removed. You drew a card to replace that aura. So I really like this suite of commanders. And the reason why is because you have different play styles encompassed in each one of these. We talk about Estrid and you might want to play ghostly prison propaganda type enchantress deck and making masks and untapping things and those kinds of slow advantage from a planeswalker could play into that strategy. You might want to be swinging with aurad creatures and enchantment creatures and drawing cards, almost like a cool enchantress Edric deck. Mm -hmm. And that's where the cultivator comes in. And then um, 
having an enchantress in your command zone and having a single big commander uh, kind of rides the line in between the two. It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. You know, this is maybe the first time I can recall that one deck came out in the commander product and all three of the sort of possible commanders in the color pair for that deck were on the same themes or such a similar theme, I guess. Usually they're vastly different. It's Rune and Derevi, you know? Those aren't oh, really you're working right. that yeah. well together. I mean, they have some synergy, but it's not like... These are all on a very similar plan, which I'm assuming will make this deck more streamlined and more focused. Think we'll of the out. wizard deck where we yeah. had Kess and Inala and Marcel. They don't really want the same thing. One of them wants a bunch of wizards. One of them wants a bunch of spells in your graveyard. The other one wants like activated, un- activated ability shenanigans. That was a great, cool deck, but it felt so all over the place. This feels like it's just all about enchantments, but you get to craft it the way that you want to play your type of enchantments. I like that. I like how you gave me this last one. Just is it because you want to hear me say it? Oh, no. Josh really (laughs) likes this card. I thought I was doing him a favor. So (laughs) there's one that what we've kind of learned is that there's three commanders in each deck, uh, new commanders, sorry, that are on the the colors of that deck. So in this case, it's Bant. And then each one, it has one new commander that you can't run straight out of the box as the commander because it doesn't encompass all of the colors. It has like two of the three or this one of the Simic, two. So it's missing white. So all your white cards just don't work. So Right. So you can, yeah, you can play them. But it is a commander. You can maybe build an entire deck around because it is a new legendary creature. It's Eryxmethus Slumbering Isle. That's two, a green and a blue for a 12-12 Kraken. Four mana, 12-12. Four mana, 12-12. But Eryxmethus, the Slumbering Isle. Sorry, Eryxmeth, there's no the. Eryxmethus, Slumbering Isle. Enters the battlefield tapped with five slumber counters on it. So it's sleepy. As long as... How many times has it got to make me say the name of the thing? Is, on it like, is it like related to like an isthmus or something like that? Like the, sure. Like an... Yeah, uh, like... I don't know. I don't know where it came as from. As long as a Ricksmithus has a slumber counter on it, it's a land. It's not a creature. So it comes out with five, remember. I'm assuming you can take these off somehow. And lo and behold, whenever you cast a spell, you may remove a slumber counter from a Ricksmithus. So it comes out with tapped with five. And every time you cast a spell, you may. You don't have to. But you can remove a slumber counter from it. And then when it has zero, it's finally a creature. So it's, a, it's this floating... Um, island yeah. type thing literally like it's like people land people got on their boats and they they went land ho and they were like let's build some stuff here and little did they know that that's actually a sleeping kraken that they've built their island home on and then and it's sleepy and yeah. then if they do stuff they cast spells it's like starts waking they, up yeah if they build too much stuff they wake in the thing and he's like what are you guys doing on my back get out of here and it's a 12 12 uh Okay, but it has an activated ability because it's a land when it's slumbering, but even it can still activate this ability even when it turns into a creature. You tap it and you add a green and a blue. You add two mana. So it's a four mana rock, kind of. Okay, I'll, I'm okay with a four mana rock. That taps for two. It's not, you know, it's Thran Dynamo, but it gives you color. It's you not Thran Dynamo, I mean, Thran Dynamo gives you one it's extra. It's Sisse's ring is what yeah. it is. Okay, sure. But it gives you colored mana. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and but it costs color. Thran Dynamo and Sisse's ring do not turn into 12-12s. Nope. Yeah, they don't. They don't turn into twelve twelve. So I kind of like trying to think of a way to turn yeah. it into a twelve twelve. Nope. So I kind of like this because you play it, and it's pretty useful as a four mana rock that taps for two. And early in the game, you get mana with it, and later in the game, when you don't need mana as much, it turns into a big beater. Now, it doesn't have trample or anything, so it's just a twelve twelve. You'll have to probably give it evasion of some kind, but 
I don't know. I kind of like it. It's not amazing, and I, I don't know if you want to build a deck around this card, but I guess you could cast on four and, and just build your deck with entirely one and two drops Mana and try Locks. on turn of five to just be like, I play four, five spells, boom. Yeah. Attack for 12. Mana rocks in your command zone have, have been pretty good. Ways to get mana advantage. Yeah. So you could theoretically... I, I, I think it could be a cool commander. I mean, you can put more six drops and less fives in your deck. Knowing you that know you're always going to count. Sure. You want yeah. two drops so that when you play this, you can immediately activate it. Oh, no, it comes in tapped. Forget I said that last part. But Boo. still, yeah. I don't know. You want two drops to ramp into this on four and then and then play six drops. It's interesting. I, I like the design. It's cool from a flavor perspective, but I'm not saying it's awesome. Okay. But also it has nothing to do with enchantments. It's just kind of thrown in here oh, yeah. for funsies. For this deck, I don't know. Yeah, right out of the box. But I, yeah, okay. Um, let's go to our... Oh, we get to do the thing. Stats. Stats. So what are the stats of the deck, TJ? That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, some of the stats of the deck. We have card draw 17. There are 17 card draw spells in the set. 17. Deck? Holy cow. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to go into more detail. Some of the card draw is a little bit loose, but 17 is a lot. Are some of it like cantrips or whatever? We'll, we'll go into it a okay. little bit later. Okay, we'll sure. go into it a little okay. bit later. Okay. Uh, next, we have ramp. Nine sources of ramp. So this is that's pretty, pretty good, good, too. It almost sounds like too much card draw. It's crazy. All right. Well, wait, yeah, now, now you're getting to the point where you might be rolling your eyes. Uh, targeted removal, five. Five is not horrible. Like You want seven or eight, right? So it's close-ish. Well, you can make up for low targeted removal with your board wipes, right? Sure. Yeah, board yeah. wipes, three. Ooh, yeah, that's a little low. Three is not enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people, you know, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to put auras on my creatures and I don't want a board wipe. But at the same time, if you're playing non-aura enchantments, which I'm assuming there's a bunch, board wipes can often be great for you. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. That's the basic categories. That's the basic categories. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about some of the themes because this is an enchantment deck. Let's find out how many enchantments there are. 33. Okay, great. So that's awesome. We know from uh, having talked about this many times that 30 is kind of the the threshold number you generally want to be right around, you know, 30 if you care about a thing. When that is the committed strategy. It's I think that's a committed strategy. I think you can have 20 if you're like, I care about that. It's a sub theme. But if this is like, no, this is what my deck is about, 30 is really yeah, strong. A Kest deck probably going to have 30 instants and or sorceries. Absolutely. A, a Merfolk deck is going to have around 30 Merfolk. Shadowborn Apostles, I always say, 31 Shadowborn Apostles. Great. Uh, so it has 33 uh, enchantments. But one thing is that they're kind of split a little bit. If we talk about auras, uh, which can be play very different than enchantments, yep. uh, there are 15 auras. Ooh, that's a lot of auras. I mean, they're committed to the aura strategy in this deck. You can see 15 is a lot of auras. It makes sense because if you look at the three commanders, Kestia and Estrid really do care about auras. Tuvasa will take auras, they're fine, but doesn't care specifically about that. But yeah. Kestia and Estrid both have texts that kind of, if a permanent's enchanted, oh, yeah. which is what auras are, they sort of do something. So that it, it makes sense when you sort of think about it like, oh, two of the three commanders cares not just about enchantments, but specifically auras. Yeah, and because Estrid cares about totem armor, we do have a lot of totem armor in this deck too. Hmm. So there's this level of protection for the creatures that exist. And speaking of which... There are a lot of creatures that hold these auras pretty well. We have 13 sort of hard to block creatures. 
We have uh, some of them are evasive. Some of them have like island walk. There's there's some pretty good creatures to suit up. Not any of them. Not a single creature has hexproof or indestructible though. Hmm. That makes me scared to put auras on it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like <laughs> I don't like auras much to begin with because they just open you up to blowouts. But I really, if I'm gonna put auras on stuff, I wanna I want it to feel fairly safe right yeah so that's that is weird it's a little weird right yeah i mean putting on a flyer is great there's a lot of i mean think about 13 sort of evasive sort of payoffs like to get damage through that's pretty cool but i don't think most auras need the evasion as much as far as getting damage through unless you definitely want the damage to go to face because the aura itself usually pumps the creature so that it can attack you don't need another what i want to do is they can't sort of plowshare it that's true yeah Okay. Uh, and one thing you say is that the aura helps them get through. Some of these auras might not be the most powerful auras that you can think of. They're just kind of like, oh, we need another aura. Let's just throw this one in there. There's a lot of totem armor, and I'm not going to hate on all of totem armor. But after the first few, you do lose some quality if you just keep including more totem armor. I mean, three totem armors doesn't really help you that much more than one totem armor in that still you're going to be really sad when they just chaos warp the thing or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but let's talk about aura specific payoffs because we mentioned you mentioned two specifically in the one Astrid in the command zone, Kestia, right? right? Yeah, you mentioned two of them, and so you might wonder, well, what is it that pays us off for just auras? Right. There's five, five cards in the deck that care specifically about auras. There's there's a bunch that care about enchantments, but aura specific payoffs, only five. So it sounds like we're a little skeptical of this entire aura thing. I mean, we're skeptical to begin with about yeah. auras, and then we have so many of them in the deck, and they're maybe not the best of auras, and then we have creatures that hold them well in one way, but not well in another way. They, they don't make them safe. You know what I mean? The thing about enchantments are that they are the hardest to remove permanent in all of magic, uh, because there's a couple of colors that just can't even really deal with them at all. Red and black just don't, in their color pie, they just don't get or or sorry, enchantment removal. But auras don't have that same upside because they have to be placed onto something. And the something they're placed onto usually has the weakness of can be destroyed by most things. So all of a sudden, an aura kind of takes something that's hard to deal with and makes it way easier to deal with. So I'm all, like I said, I'm already skeptical of auras. This doesn't sound like they're, I don't know, they're not, they're not allaying my fears in any way yeah this might be really fun with the with the pre-cons maybe when you're just suiting things up and there's not a lot of instancy removal to take something out underneath it or maybe there's more destroy rather than exile so the totem armor comes into play more but i have a feeling that if you just take this to a normal commander table you might try to suit some stuff up and realize that it just gets killed out from under it and they have a lot of exile and a lot of yeah you mentioned swords to plowshares There's nothing in here that really gets gets around that. You just suit something up and then Swords to Postures just kills it. Okay, so let's, what conclusions have we drawn? The ramp and the card draw here. Well, we talked about the card draw and it was pretty Insane. pretty strong, right? And yeah. the ramp was pretty good too. Uh, I think that enchantment-based ramp is really good and they've noticed it in this deck. Because enchantment-based ramp, you enchant a land and it produces extra mana. There's a few of these spells out. And Estrid's plus ability can untap all those lands. So you can tap them and they give you extra mana because they're enchanted. And then you plus Estrid and then you can untap all of those enchanted lands. I've been talking about for years, like Market Festival and things like that, which are spells that I actually do really like uh, 
in general because of untap effects like cures followers and things that untap lands. Estrid has a similar ability. So if you a lot of those enchantments like Gift of Paradise is a new one yeah. that comes out and it makes your land tap for two mana of any color. So when Estrid untaps that land because it's an enchanted permanent, you're getting two mana. And if you can do that to a couple of your lands, all of a sudden Estrid could be plusing to create, you know, five, six, seven mana sometimes. That seems extremely powerful to me. I think the the only thing that's unfortunate is how many of those land enchantments are there in this deck? Uh, there are only four in this deck specifically. So that seems... There's one more land enchantment that produces gigantic creatures, which is a cool synergy, but... That's kind of a late game thing. It's not really this ramp cra uh, strategy that we're talking about right now. Uh, so if you do like the sound of that, you you could have in the back of your mind, like, oh, I want more of those land enchantments, or you can use her totem armor to enchant those lands. But again, if, you, if you're already ramping on your lands and then you're also untapping, you get way more mana than just by sticking a mask on it. Yeah. And then I guess we should ask, like, what... Because Estrid untaps creatures that are enchanted too. Is that useful in any way in this deck? Say that one more time. Estrid could enchant... Can, it untaps all your enchanted permanents, yes. right? So the other thing that's most likely to be enchanted... In fact, the thing that's by far the most likely to be enchanted in the deck is a creature. Oh, so you're thinking Auras, of like a big mana creature type thing. Like no, no, I'm just thinking if Estrid untaps... Is there a creature in here that if Estrid untaps it, it's helpful to us? No. So it's that's vigilance. Not, I like vigilance. So that's what she's doing basically. Is if when yeah. she untaps the enchanted creatures <laughs> with the auras, it's just kind of giving you vigilance. It's not something where like, oh, I get to use an ability there's, again. There's there's not some there's not some crazy over the top activated ab tapping ability in this in this deck. Or not a lot of it. That's like yeah, you're trying yeah. to abuse that. There's nothing exciting to, that you're trying to abuse. Okay, doesn't mean that you can't find something that's that's great for that. Right. Okay. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about that card draw. Uh, there's a lot of it, but it's so conditional, super conditional. Uh, I mentioned cards like uh, Sage's Reverie. Uh, Sage's Reverie is an aura for three and a white. It enchants a creature. When Sage's Reverie enters the battlefield, draw a card for each aura you control that's attached to a creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each aura you control that's attached to a creature. So that could it, draw you. It could draw you a lot of cards. But it's very often going to draw you zero. Yeah. And it's cost four mana. It's four mana. It's pump. And then also some card draw. And we've got a few of these and it's a little bit stressful. Honestly, you want your card draw to be very reliable because you want to actually use your card draw to find more stuff to keep going. Right. And when you want your card draw when you're in trouble. Right. Not when you're winning with a creature suited up with a bajillion auras. That's true. If you have four creatures with auras on them, you you feel like you're in good shape in that game. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, drawing cards at that point is fine, but if you have to be at that point to really get value out of it, that doesn't seem worth it. Yeah, let's talk about the the good card draw that we have in here. Okay. One of the best pieces of card draw we have uh, is Eidolon of Blossoms. Right. Eidolon of Blossoms is is great in this deck. It's two green green for a two two enchantment creature. Okay, that's important because of one of our. One of our generals that could be in this deck. And it has Constellation. When Eidolon of Blossoms or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. So this immediately replaces itself with card draw. And every aura and every enchantment lets you draw more cards. It's one of the enchantresses. Absolutely. And it's one of the best enchantresses. Yeah. Because it immediate, it's four it mana, but it immediately replaces itself. It is an enchantment. It's great. 
Another one you have here is Crucifix's Insight. It's two and a green for a sorcery. Reveal the top six cards of your library. Put up to three enchantment cards from among them into your hand and the rest of the revealed cards into your graveyard. So if you have 33 enchantments in this deck, one in three cards is going to be an enchantment. You're likely to draw two, but you could draw three or four even. Absolutely. With this spell, yeah. So it gets you exactly the kind of cards you want, which are enchantments. And so it's like an enchantment divination, which is starting off pretty good. But the chance to get three is really cool. Yeah. And I also like it when cards go into your graveyard versus back on the bottom of your life. Especially in green, like you have a good chance to be able Absolutely. to get back out. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one more card that is both card draw and mana ramp. That sounds good to me. Kinda. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's myth unbound. Two and a green for an enchantment. Your commander costs one less to cast for each time it's been cast from the command zone this game. So this so it reduces... Cuts command and commander attacks in half. Absolutely. Okay. So... It's ramp, but just for your commander. Okay. Uh, as a second line of text, uh, whenever your commander's put into the command zone from anywhere, draw a card. Oh, that's interesting. It kind of disincentivizes people from removing your commander. Yeah. So this enchantment is not something that's over the top powerful because if you, how many times do you plan on having your commander die in a game? Yeah. You, I mean, generally we know that. Let's say like two or three. More than two is pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. So if you play it, you should be expecting to maybe draw two cards and save two mana. Not generally good enough. Yeah. Except in an enchantment deck. Except in enchantment deck or in partners, because then ah. you can save on both of your partners. That's interesting. It's double the savings. That's actually very interesting. I, I mean, Josh they have to both something. die. Yeah, but you're casting your command. How many times do you cast Thrasios? Well... I don't know, two times. Like, they have to die the same. I mean, yeah. You know, they, so. get kill you know they get killed a lot. I mean, that's mostly because they're early drops and they, they're Thra just out he, earlier. He's talking about Thrasios and Vile Smasher. Smasher. Yeah. 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 And, and you use them a lot in your deck. Yeah. No. It it's is, corner case. It's definitely better when you have two, though, than when you have one. I think, yeah. People, a lot of people are going to think I should put this in every deck with green in it, and I don't think that's going to be true at all. Because, like you said, it's likely to save you two mana and draw you two cards over the course of a game, which is not which is not, not that good, good especially because yeah. you can't know exactly when it is going to draw you that card. Your or when opponent's it is choosing, save that mana. yeah, yeah, and they're basically saying like, okay, I'll allow you to draw the card because I'm going to. There is some potential for, because there are some commanders that you, by combo or by their nature, cast over and over and over and over again in a command game. Commander game. True. Prosh and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's interesting. Uh, Teferi. The, but those decks are both top tier decks that I know, are they winning when that, they do they that. that. They don't right? care about Myth Unbound. It's definitely, I, I think it's important to point out just because it's interesting and a lot of people like Josh said are going to fall in the trap of like, yes, include it when actually it's just more of an interesting conversation rather than a slam dunk card. It is a cool new card though. Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna overview the board wipes and the targeted removal. <sighs> Three board wipes is not enough. You mentioned that, right? Yeah. You said that you really need more to help control the board. I mean, maybe if we are just kind of committing as many enchantment creatures as possible, auraing them up and trying to win really aggressively, that plan, that plan always sounds good, and then you get into a situation where like you just fell behind a little, and you're behind to three players, and the only card that's going to have you any chance of getting back in the game is a board wipe, and you've only got a couple in your deck. Yeah, even aggressive decks or token decks that basically the plan is never to want the board wiped, want to run board wipes because 
they're just the type of card that gets you out of situations no other cards can. Yeah. So. But I think one of the biggest problems is that there's only five pieces of targeted removal. Yeah, it's pretty low too. And only one of them is instant speed. Ooh. Because it's all enchantment based, probably. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's a few of them actually. Two of them are so are are like really they're the vow cards. Uh-huh. They're the ones that enchant oh. other creatures and I don't they, even know they if I count them. those as targeted removal. I I mean yeah. I did though. That's the thing. So you're stretching as it <laughs> is. Yeah, I'm stretching because you're enchanting another creature and then the creature's still around. It just can't attack you and it attacks other players yeah, the, and buffs it. The vow cards are yeah. There's one for each color and. They give some sort of ability in and pump the creature. Yeah, but usually three three CMC give plus two plus two. They can't attack you or planeswalker you control. Yeah. And they give uh, like flying for strike, stuff like that. Those don't even really count as targeted removal because they don't work against utility creatures in any way. So It's like a weird pacifism, basically. Yeah, if you really need to get rid of their Seedborn Muse, that don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that's super light and very conditional. Okay, so... We sort of came to an interesting conclusion about this deck that is unique so far among the Commander 2018 decks. Usually we've been saying run the Planeswalker as the Commander, but you actually, you know, after some discussion, came to a different conclusion for this deck as far as like out of the box based on what's in there, who you think, you know, people should run if they have to have the best chance of winning as the Commander. Yeah, I, I, we came to the conclusion based on trying to figure out well first off think in your mind which commander we picked uh because estrid is cool but we found out the untapping was if you have activated abilities or if you had a lot of things that could ramp you or ramp into and four enchantments like no really that doesn't four, really four match enchantments very much. That enchant your lands. yeah that enchant your lands none uh, of the creatures care about being untapped particularly yeah. so yeah that plus ability seems like unlikely to do much. Exactly. Uh, and then with uh, the Cultivator, it's a cool. Bosto is really cool, but it really wants you to go wide and draw a bunch of cards. With Kestia. Yeah, with Kestia. And and then have a lot of enchantment creatures. There are some enchantment creatures in here, but it's not stacked full of them. And every card that's just a plain old enchantment doesn't interact with her very well. It's only the creatures that can attack or auras or enchantment creatures. It was, so I it think ends this, up being pretty split. This card would be quite a bit better if it said maybe for for each enchantment, uh, pl- you know. Whenever, whenever she attacks, en- draw a card for each enchantment you control. Whenever an enchanted creature <laughs> or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. I don't know how they'd word it, but somehow... because. You could get into a situation where you have Kestia and there's so many auras in the deck, you suit her up with two or three auras, but you're still only drawing one card. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that doesn't like help you. This does not reward you for going tall. And right. we have explained that there's quite a few auras in here. So I think that this card, Tuvasa, the Sunlit, is your commander of choice straight out of the box for this deck. And the reason why is because it's an enchantress in itself. Literally, the payoff is there. You can play this so soon. You play it on three, and suddenly the 30-something enchantments in this deck all turn into card draw. Right, because remember, Tuvasa has the text, whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. It's not quite as good as you know one of the classic enchantresses that draw a card every time you play an like enchantment. Like that Eidolon of Blossoms we yeah. mentioned. But at the same time, none of those can go in your command zone. And we've been hearing from people for years, can I just get one of those that's a legendary creature so I can put it in my command zone? This is as close as you're going to get in this deck. You're guaranteed to get value, basically. And it's a three drop, comes out early before most of your enchantments are coming down. Yeah, and you can have some of your enchantments stick around. She gets to be pretty big, becomes a threat. That's true. All you, if you just have, like, four enchantments and one of them is an aura, she could easily be, like, an 8-8 eight, eight or a 9-9. Nine, nine. 
Yeah. It's not that difficult. So that's what I want out of an enchantment deck is the enchantress effect. Right. So we're going to go with her as the commander of choice. It's pretty interesting. And I think, you know, the the assumption is to run the planeswalker right out of the of the gate out of, with these de- with all these decks, right? But Estrid, the more you look at it, it's sort of like, well, the ultimate's unlikely to happen. Yeah. The mask thing is cool, but... I like it, but it's not really... What's it like? How are you taking advantage of it exactly? You need one of these other cards that cares about auras, so you already need something else for that to matter. And the plus two, which is untap all enchanted permanence, you control again. If it's just giving your creatures vigilance, that's not a very good plus yeah. on a. Or it's just order. the mask is really defensive, maybe. Like, I'm just going to sit here and protect my stuff and build up advantage through enchantments. But then that discounts all of the auras in the deck and all of the evasive creatures. It's Is it supposed to make it you feel safe placing auras on things? But it doesn't, because like I said, there's too much. There's bounce, there's tuck, and there's exile. And yeah. they all don't care about totem armor. So, uh, okay. Because totem armor only saves a creature if it would be destroyed. destroyed. That's why we keep saying that. All right. So, so that's that was one of the problems that we ran across is that there's a lot of auras and auras matter. There's there's advantages for going wide with things and suiting them up. There's advantages for playing enchantments and dirtling and untapping stuff. And this one thing that we said is that it's cool that we have three commanders that are all banned and all enchantments, but we've sort of realized, wait a second, they're hitting up enchantments in each of these different areas. Yeah. And so we need to find out what's the best one for this deck. And that's the sunlight. Tuvasa. 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 Let's talk about the best cards in this deck. Okay. So considering that we're going to run Tuvasa as the commander. Yeah. The first one is going to be the best card in almost every enchantment yeah. deck you can think of. It's great. It's Sigil of the Empty Throne. Three white white for an enchantment. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, create a 4-4 four, four white angel creature token with flying. Boom. Boom. How many enchantments are in this deck again? 33. <laughs> So whenever you cast an enchantment, you just get a 4-4 flying angel with it. This is the card that if an enchantment deck gets it out, if they untap with it, you're probably going to lose. It's great. Yeah. And also with your commander, as you're getting enchantments, you're literally drawing more cards and then fueling everything. It's great. Yep. Um, The next one is part of a cycle in Commander 2018. So it's Estrid's Invocation. And we've noticed that each deck has sort of the Planeswalker's name and then a spell. So uh, the Sahili one's called Sahili's Directive. Um, Lord Windgrace had Windgrace's Judgment, and they were both excellent cards. We loved those cards. And here we are naming another one as one of the best cards in the deck. So this whole cycle That's seems really good. Estrid's Invocation, two and a blue for an enchantment. You may have Estrid's Invocation enter the battlefield as a copy of any enchantment you control, except it gains, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile this enchantment. If you do, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it becomes your best enchantment, and then each turn, in case your best enchantment got upgraded by a new card that came out, it becomes that. Yes! It's also really good if it's just copying Eidolon of Blossoms, right? Yeah! It could copy Eidolon of Blossoms, then suddenly you finally find your um, Sigil Sigil. of the Empty Throne. You play it, and then it comes back in and is literally another Sigil of the Empty Throne. You get two angels. This card is amazing. No, no, but when when you cast your next next, enchantment. Yeah. 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 But Eidolon of Blossoms, this this virtually blinks it, right? And draw another card, yeah. And for, uh, is Tuvasa cast? It's cast. Tuvasa is cast. Some of them are cast, and some of them are Enter the Battlefield. But the Constellation effect is Enter the Battlefield. And there are some constellation cards in here. 
So it's just good to have an enchantment entering and exiting, even if it's going to stay as what it was before. And then a lot of times you can just upgrade it to like the next best thing. And there are some enchantments that have enter the battlefield effects. Well, and think of too, like just versatility. So maybe you've placed an O-ring type effect on something out there. You've got a cool creature. You've got a cool enchantment. Uh, sorry, enchantment creature, a cool enchantment. And then based on what's happened, somebody casts something else scary. Well, I'm going to turn it into the O-ring to get rid of that thing. Even though and that's not ideal, you're like, I'm going to do, do I'm going to do what it takes to solve this problem. And this is, it's, it solves problems. It gets you advantage. It literally becomes the best thing in your deck full of enchantments. It's great. Uh, I really like that card. That card's sweet. I really like it. Okay. And we've got one more list. One it's a more new card is too. another new card. Heavenly Blade Master. Five and a white for a three, six angel. Three, six. With Weird. flying. Okay. And double strike. Oh, okay. So, so there's your six, there's six, your there's your six six angel. <laughs> so six mana six. Okay, but when Heavenly Blade Master enters the battlefield, you may attach any number of auras and equipment you control to it. Other creatures you control get plus one plus one for each aura and equipment attached to Heavenly Blade Master. So she's like a magnet for all the auras and equipment, and then however many are on there, it pumps the rest of your your team. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Now now. It's too bad that's not a legendary. There are legendaries I know, that do right? similar it's things. So, yeah. It's so good. Uh, now, we are toning down the aura theme in this deck, but this is still one of the best cards because there are plenty of auras in the deck, and this card is just going to be so powerful because you're going to... It also pumps your team, too. It'll suck the auras to it and then pump the creatures that you have out there. Yeah. And getting double strike... This there's a lot of building opportunities for this creature as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. So ores and enchantments, or sorry, ores and equipment are usually going to pump the power of the creature. So all of a sudden, it wouldn't be too hard to get her to like ten power, and then she's hitting for twenty, and it she's also, a flyer. So. It also wouldn't be that hard to get swift foot boots or lightning graves yeah. on her. Yeah. So you literally, literally play her, and, and then just, get a few pieces of equipment, just like two or three. Then suddenly your whole team is pumped by plus three, plus three. Uh, that are already on the battlefield, and then she has haste and double strike. She's just smashing for a million. That's just pretty smashes cool. like crazy. Now, it'll be a little bit clunkier than what we just described in this deck, but it's still there. One other thing not is the equipment here. Exactly. Yeah. One other thing that is cool though is those vows. Like I played the vow to keep uh, your creature from attacking you. I can bring them back and put them on her, which is just kind for of the a, plus two, plus two, and exactly whatever. kind gotcha. of an interesting little little side thing that you could end up doing. That's cool. Uh, but she is just so powerful, even though she doesn't synergize with every aspect of this deck. She really is one of the best cards. Uh, okay, let's talk about the worst cards in the deck. Um, we already talked about Sage's Reverie, so I won't mention that one again. But uh, another one is one of the auras. It's called Righteous Authority. It's three white and blue for an enchantment order. It says Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one for each card in its controller's hand. And then at the beginning of the draw step of Enchanted Creature's controller that player draws an additional card. All right, so it's a five mana aura. That maybe gives like plus four, plus four, or plus five, plus five-ish. And then Howling Mines draws you an extra card if you make it to your uh, next draw step. Again, I think it's that this is- It's a five mana aura. It's so much commitment. If you land this card, like you might land this card on a creature and think that it's the best thing in the world because if you can get it and protect it, it might be. But it's just so risky. It's just is the it, this is the exact example of why auras scare everyone. Yeah, 
And it's, it's really this big risk that we're trying to have you avoid. It's the feel bad that we're trying to steer you clear from, which are these cards that put so much into having those auras land and stick around to do something. And if they don't, you're, you're down and out. Like you're just down so much. Yeah. You're so hurt. If they destroy the creature out from under that aura, you lose the creature, you lose the aura, you lose all the mana spent on both. It's just, and you don't have hex proof or, I mean, if they, maybe if there was a ton of hex proof, indestructible things that you could put this on, maybe, right. But there isn't. Okay. Let's talk about notable reprints. We've been a little bit low on notable reprints in these. We have. And I feel like we're low in this deck too. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's one really solid notable reprint and that's Hydra Omnivore. It's a really great card in commander. Uh, it is a four green, green, Eight eight Hydra, so a six mana eight eight. Oof. Whenever Hydra Omnivore deals uh, combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to each other opponent. So if it hits one of them, it hits all of them. I've definitely died to Hydra Omnivore by somebody else getting hit by, for a bunch. Oh yeah, I've yeah. I've definitely I've died by someone else saying I got plenty of life just to attack me. <laughs> so it kills the, yeah. <laughs> just letting it through. Yeah. Just letting it totally through. Happens. Yeah. yeah. Totally happens. So this is a six mana eight, eight that in a four player game regularly does 24 damage when it attacks. Yeah. When it connects, boom. And this is a deck with a bunch of auras. So even though we're going to take out the bad ones, there's still going to be some. And yeah. if you, if you play it and everyone's like, oh, I'm fine. I can block it. I can whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but I put an aura on it, aura on it that you're not ready for. They're like, now I have to take the hit from it. And that's going to deal, you know. 10, 11, 12 to everybody. Boom. Yeah. Love it. It's pretty sweet. I think it's great. But that is the only notable reprint we've listed in the deck. Now, we've said this for the other ones. We're doing these before the decks are known to the public. So it's possible there's something we miss because we're not finance guys. There's not, we can't put a digital list online anywhere and check it. Yeah. So for like the true value breakdown, I recommend MTG Goldfish is a good one. They always do a breakdown of each deck and, and the value of each card in it. So double check that. But as far as we can tell so far from the three decks, hasn't been a ton of like good reprints. You know, last year they did Mirari's Wake in one of them and they they usually tend to do like one or two good big name ones and that hasn't come along maybe in the last deck that we haven't reviewed. Hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's talk. So out of the box, we're running Tuvasa as the commander. We know it's an Enchantress type theme, but that doesn't mean the deck's going to run great and we need to upgrade it a little bit. What uh, What are you thinking? Absolutely. Because out of the box, it really goes wide and tall. It goes in too many directions. So let's talk about some ways to really improve this deck. And I think some of the cards to add, first off, is card draw category. Okay, because this is an Enchantress deck and it has some Enchantresses in it, but not as many as there are in Magic. And that's what people love to do. I mean, that's the whole cards. reason these decks exist is like, I'm going to put all the Enchantresses in the deck. So Argothian Enchant Enchantress, Mesa Enchantress, Seder Enchanter, Verduran Enchantress. Those all are the those four are that aren't in there? Yeah. Okay. So any number of those that you have access to, just put them in, right? By the way, Enchantress's presence is in this, and this that might be considered a notable reprint. Oh. You told me yesterday it was like yeah, that's a eight decent, bucks or something like that. Yeah, that was a decently expensive card. So there, yeah. that's a notable. That's reprint. a notable reprint okay. too. Uh, but there, and then Eidolon of Blossoms is the other um, enchantress that's in there, and it's a solid enchantress. So the enchantresses that they did include are solid. But let's add a few more. I mean, when I've played against enchantresses decks, it feels like you're winning if they're ever playing cards without one of those on the field. Yeah. If they have one and they're playing cards, it feels like you're losing. What's great is that they, when you get two or three oh, yeah. and then you play something and you're drawing so many cards, it's this engine that you get. It's great. Yep. 
Uh, go ahead and do the. Okay, so the another card drawish spell or a card that fits really well in the deck is Courser of Crufix. So this is a card again from Theros, and it's an enchantment creature. It costs one green green. I'm trying to do this from memory because it's taking me a second to pull it up on my phone. Here we go. One green green for a two four. Centaur enchanted creature, enchantment creature. It says, play with the top card of your library revealed, similar to like Oracle of Moldiah. You may play the top card of your library if it's a land. So if you haven't hit your land drop that turn and the top card's a land, you just play it. And then it says, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. This, I think newer players don't understand why this is good. It basically has an extra card in your hand. And if you play that card and it's a land, then you basically drew that card. So it gives you card advantage, and it's a three-mana spell. It doesn't okay. ramp you because you, yeah. it doesn't allow you to play extra lands, but it does give you card advantage. Yeah, if you play a card from the top of your library, that's an extra card that you've just taken from it's the, the top of It's the same as library. if you drew it into your hand and then played it, right? Absolutely. Now, it specifically can only do that with lands, so maybe it's drawing you a card every, you know... 40% of your turns or something. But you know what else is great? It's an enchantment creature. So it triggers all the constellations, yes. all the enchantresses. So we're t talking about how it's just a good card in general. And then you add the whole other dimension of how it's an enchantment too. And it just takes it over the top. Yeah. If your commander's out, if Tuvas is out, you draw a card with it. And it's that's great. another reason. And it pumps it. Yeah. Too. And yeah. And it makes Tuvasa bigger. And that's another reason why think of Estrid. Estrid does nothing with this card besides maybe put a mask on it. Yeah, I agree. So, okay. Okay, the last one is is not necessarily card draw. I just stuck it in this category to make everyone frustrated. But it's... It could if you go get... It's actually, it's actually card disadvantage. If you go get an Eidolon of Blossoms, it's kind of card draw. <laughs> We're stretching. It's know. actually card disadvantage. That's what I'd go get. It's, no, I'd go get an, uh, the Enchantress's Presence or whatever. That's I'd go get Sigil of the Empty Throne. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is called Sterling Grove. It's green and a white for an enchantment. All other enchantments you control can't be the target of spells or abilities. They have Shroud. Okay, So protection is great. Now that that's going to sound somewhat bad too because it protects them from your stuff. So you can't... If the Sterling Grove is out, you can't put an aura on your stuff anymore. Luckily... You can't put it on your enchantment creatures right, anymore. Right, enchantment You can put creatures. it on a normal creature, but not your Corsair of Crufix. Luckily, Sterling Grove has a second ability that sort of lets you get rid of it when that's inconvenient for you. Yeah. One, sacrifice Sterling Grove, search your library for an enchantment card, and reveal that card. Shuffle your library, then put the card on top of it. So it's sort of enlightened tutors only for enchantments. Um, yeah. It's pretty great because it protects you for a while, and then you go get Sigil of the And then the you get You're exactly right. what you need. Sigil, and it's not and it, so good. It's so this is so good. And of course, you can run other tutors to make your deck a little bit smoother. But we like this tutor specifically because it's an enchantment. Yes. It comes down, it triggers, it draws you the cards from your other enchantresses. It draws you a card from your commander. It protects other things. And then you can get whatever you need. It just seems to do everything. Yeah, I really like the card in the deck. It's great. Okay, so we're moving into the more answers categories because if we recall... We were a little bit, we weren't super pleased with the amount of single target removal and board wipes, especially since we're counting vows as single target removal. That just makes me feel yeah. like there's not very much removal in the deck. So a way to get around that is add more removal type stuff. And here's a great one, Aura Shards. It's one, a green and a white for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment. So now this is the along, like, okay, Tuvasa. Mm -hmm. Draws you a card when an enchantment gets cast. Sigil of the th Empty Throne makes angels when an enchantment get cast. Aura shards when a creature enters the battlefield, but a lot of them are enchantment creatures. 
it's paying you off in a different way, destroying stuff. So it's sort of a similar theory, if you will, of like, I'm going to play cards. The card's going to do something, but I'm going to get the side benefit of gunning down people's things. Yeah. And also, it's really nice to be able to target. Like, this is just so deadly because it's recurrable. And this deck does have a critical mass of creatures in it. We talked about all the things that hold auras really well. And we have things like that you mentioned, Sigil the Empty Throne, that then generates creatures. Because it's not when you cast... It's when they enter the battlefield. Yeah, so if you have Sigil and Aura Shards out, now whenever you cast an enchantment, you're making an angel, which will also trigger Aura Shards. Even yeah. better if that's an enchantment creature like Auto Lot of Blossoms, in which case Aura Shards is going to trigger twice. Yeah. Seasoned commander players don't need convincing. Aura Shards is like shards. one of the best really cards great. in the format, for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another piece of, of targeted removal, and that's Grasp of Fate. This feels underplayed to me. I, I think it is underplayed. Yeah, this is a really powerful card. Uh, one white white for an enchantment. When Grasp of Fate enters the battlefield for each opponent, exile up to one target non-land permanent that player controls until Grasp of Fate leaves the battlefield. So you O-ring something from everybody. I think one thing that makes this card better than I first thought is, is that everyone knows what's under the Grasp of Fate. And so even though you're upset that I have your great thing underneath it, you don't want to destroy the Grasp of Fate because you're afraid of the Zakama that's under it or yep. the Jacilla that's under it or something yep. like that. And so it's this really great enchantment. It tends to stick around more than O-Ring Wood or Detention Fear or something like that because the person who has a thing under it doesn't necessarily want to get rid of it. So it also would work really good with Estrid's Invocation, I think. Oh, yeah. That seems great. And also, like, three-for-ones yeah. removal is just amazing. Yeah. I yeah, think one reason why people don't play it is it's a little bit expensive. Yeah. You think, like, an O-ring, you think, like, oh, it's an uncommon, it's, like, $100 like or like that. Yeah, this is, like, eight or nine bucks. They really needed to reprint it in this deck. They totally did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're going to, and I think all of the decks so far have had what we consider to be a problem winning. Mm-hmm. You know, Sahili, Lord Windgrace, this deck... It seems like the wheels are there to turn the machine, but it doesn't have a way to sort of finish things out. And so the finishers category is one that all the decks have needed, including this one. How do you win? There's a few options. One is Heliod, the god of the sun, which is three and a white for a five, six legendary enchantment creature god. So it will trigger all your enchantress stuff. It says, as long as your devotion to white is less than five, Heliod isn't a creature. So you need at least five white pips, which are the white mana symbols on cards on the battlefield for Heliod to be a creature. Now, the funny thing about these gods is generally you don't actually want them to be creatures. They're harder to deal with when they are enchantments because they're indestructible, as Heliod is. And so only Exile and Tuck really gets rid of it. Um, Although sometimes turning it on and bashing is fine with the 6-5 Indestructible. Yeah. And it's a safer creature to put an aura on, so that's something you might do at some point. Um, it says, other creatures you control have Vigilance. And then it has an activated ability. You can pay two white-white, colon. So you can do this as many times as you have two white-white. And put a 2-1 white cleric enchantment creature token onto the battlefield. So it puts enchantments into play, which will trigger some of the things, like Eidolon of Blossoms. It won't do Sigil of the Empty Throne, which says cast. Um, but it does work with Kestia, who cares if an enchantment creature attacks. So it just synergizes very well with the deck. Yeah, but honestly, 
this can just be a mana sink as you go into the late game. Just keep on producing two ones, keep on producing enchantments, have other enchantment synergies like Constellation entering the battlefield. It's something that can definitely take over a game. Yeah. And enchantments are things that sit on the battlefield, so this can turn a Heliod on. It is a liability if it gets turned on, but sometimes, sometimes like it's you great. said, bashing is great. Yeah. Let's talk about another god that I like, and it's Thassa, god of the sea. Two and a blue for a 5-5 five, five legendary enchantment creature god. It's indestructible. As long as your devotion to blue is less than five, Thassa isn't a creature. Okay, five for the single color. Same ones, thing, yeah. yep. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, scry one. I like that. Yep, just value, and it's a three drop. Yep, one and a blue. Create A target creature you control can't be blocked this turn. So when you're suiting up some of your creatures, giving them unblockable can just finish the game very easily. Uh, your commander who is very easy to get large because you're just going to have enchantments kind of all over your battlefield. Suddenly, uh, unblockable. Deal a lot of damage. Yeah, don't forget Tuvasa, the Sunlit, has the... We've been we've been sort of concentrating on the second line of text whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. But Tuvasa does have a first line of text, gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. So if you have two or three enchantments and a couple of them are auras, Tuvasa could be huge. In which case, Thassa just makes it... Uh, makes uh, her, him, makes the merfolk unblockable, and then, yeah. They just can close out a game. Yeah, just finish people off when they don't really see it coming. Thassa's criminally undercosted because for five mana play it makes something unblockable is actually not the worst, and that happens quite often. And then and also continues the to give you not the worst value. Either. Yeah. yeah. But I it's mean, good early, good late. You oh, get it yeah. early, and the scry is going to add up over time. You get it late, sometimes you can just out of nowhere make something unblockable people didn't see coming. Bam. I have devotion to blue, and I don't know what to do. It's like, I'll make Thassa herself unblockable. Swing it. Okay, so you got to read this next one. Uh, did Cra Tell me the truth. He got to you, didn't he? Craig got to you, didn't he? Uh, I, Craig I have got my, to you, didn't he? I have my own Craig little bit got of, to you, little bit of darkness. And <laughs> I love you, Craig. <laughs> You're dead to me. I can't believe we're talking about this card. Corrupted Conscience. Three blue blue for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. You control enchanted creature. Enchanted creature has infect. So you control magic something and give it infect. You for can control, one extra mana than a control magic. Yeah. And you can control magic your own creature. You can target your own creature. You can target your own Tavasa. And then suddenly... You have something that's infecting that can swing. This deck is filled with evasive creatures, creatures with island walk, giving things flying. Thassa, we just talked about. But we just talked about Thassa. I want to infect some people out with enchantments. <laughs> His eyes lit up so high. Are you related to Craig? Did I make a huge mistake? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I've definitely died to Corrupted Conscience a few times. Okay, that's a cool one. Uh, one people don't think about enough, and because it's an enchantment itself, it just happens to... Because there's no harm in just control magicing something. Control magic is fine. And the infect being something you're is you're not really worried about. It's just gravy. But also, you can sometimes just kill people with it. Uh, the last one is a really cool card and kind of one of the big explosive plays that the deck could accomplish. It's Opalescence. It's two white-white for an enchantment. Each other... Uh, it says each other global enchantment is a creature. <laughs> Non-aura enchantment. Yeah, each other non-aura enchantment is a creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. It's still enchantment. So 
this is this is kind of a nod to another finisher and how you can really make this deck a lot more interesting. We do want finishers and we're going to have some enchantments on the board. So it could be very interesting to just play this and suddenly people look down at your, ta your table and you can swing with your 5-5 five, five Sigil of the Empty Throne. You can swing with your, with your crux of, what was the... Your, uh, anything, your, your, your O-Rings, your Estrid's Invocation, oh, grasp of fate. your Grasp of Fates, everything. Suddenly, your board is crazy. Now, there's a little bit of a blowout potential involved. Well, now uh, your enchantments are creatures, which are easy, easier to kill than enchantments. So, Wrath of God, very bad for you at that point. Usually, you play Opalescence and win. Yeah. And, if oh, it, yeah. and that's not the outcome. You don't play it yet. So I did. We, I did reduce a little bit in the amount of auras because this doesn't work with auras. We were not as excited. I think about you took them. out like almost half of them. Yeah. So there's still some, but it's more like eight. It's and not I 15. Took out, I left some of the better ones. Yeah. Uh, and so opalescence can be optimized in this in this deck if you just include more enchantments and make it a little bit more. It is a little bit expensive in terms of card. It's pushing that twenty dollar limit that we have there. So this is not a necessity of a card, but it's a really cool way to finish the game, right? Yeah, it's really right? cool. I'm excited about it. Starfield that. of Nyx is sort of a more budgety option. It's more expensive as far as mana, and this yeah. Opalescence is a little better, but it's yeah. it's an option you could go with. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, also includes Cyclonic Rift. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way. So, as usual, we're not going to go through all the cards we would take out in Y, but we are going to include a list of those cards in the show notes. So, if you're interested to see what DJ suggests taking out of the deck to make room for the cards we are suggesting you put in, then show notes is the place to check for that. Okay, time for to the listeners. This is an interesting question here. Do you guys agree out there about our recommendation to run to Vasa instead of Estrid? I understand that you're going to pick this up, and the exciting thing about the deck is to play a Planeswalker as commander. So, Josh, the card is huge. Look. Right. So but impressive. I, I think if you actually, like, if you're looking to win the game and make the deck sort of the most powerful that it can be right out of the box, I do think Tovasa is just better. It works with more of the deck. Estra's just going to feel like, feels like she's going to do nothing a lot of the time. Like, untapped stuff has just a huge possibility of not mattering on the board. Yeah. Josh and I, we broke the deck apart and we kind of talked about this a lot because it was kind of a, a weird place where the deck was. And I think that we made the right call. Yeah. But you might think we didn't. So let us know in the comments below. Either way, this is a deck you're definitely going to want to pick up. And the best place to go do that is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link, when you order this deck, the cards we suggest adding, other cards you've thought of, whether you're going to run Estrid or Tuvasa or Kestia, then you really are helping out this show, Game Nights, and all of our content. And while you're there, especially if you're going to build around Estrid, you should pick up Estrid Playmats. Estrid deck boxes, Estrid sleeves. I mean, just go full Estrid. Why not? Or Lord Wingrace, Sahili. You know, if you're building something from Dominaria, they have all that stuff. And Ultra Pro really does make the highest quality products. Their sleeves are just the high watermark right now for sleeves in the business. So if you want to protect your cards and have your sleeves last as long as possible, Ultra Pro is the place to go. All right. Let's talk about something outside the world of magic because it's time for the end step. DJ. <laughs> DJ again coming through. DJ, you need I got to, more stuff. You need to think of like, I hope you've got like four or five because we're recording multiple episodes today. And I got, um, I got a lot. I got okay. a lot of opinions. All right. I got Sweet. a lot of opinions. I, like, I right. liked 
I added criminal podcasts to my podcast. Did you haven't uh, listened to one yet, but it, it's there. So he's been too involved with hardcore history to oh, even hardcore. think about that. Wait, you're ruining an end step of mine. Josh's end step right now is hardcore history. Yes, it is. He said it multiple times, but did you know that I'm a fan of hardcore history? Did we talk no, about that before? No, we haven't talked about this. Oh yeah, I've listened to all of them. Oh, it's so good. Did you listen so to the good. new one yet? I I did. I listened to the new the one. The new one is amazing. It's called Supernova in the East. Hardcore History is a podcast by Dan Carlin. And honestly, it's just my favorite piece of entertainment, period. Like, I like it better than Game of Thrones. I like it better than any movie I've seen mm -hmm. within the last few years. Like, every time a new one comes out, which is admittedly not super often. He, <laughs> he, he releases like three episodes a year. They're usually like four and a half hour long episodes like this one was. Um, and the new one's really, really good. I think one of his best ones in a while. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so Dan is talking about Japan. He sort of starts with the Shogunite and the early feud and, and sort of feudal Japan around what 1200s or so and kind of follows them through path, you know, to world war two and just He's kind of trying to get into the mindset of, he talks about it in the premise of, of world war two. He starts off by talking about these Japanese soldiers oh, yeah. that have been holdouts for decades, defending islands in the middle of the Pacific from a war that's been over. I think the last one was like 1970 something where there was a soldier who'd literally been fighting still World War II for for 30 years had cuz cuz their commanding officer had never come out and told them like okay they they flew I, this is not spoilers cuz yeah. the very beginning of yeah. the episode they flew his commanding officer from Japan out to this island who had retired from the military was like a bookseller then yeah. and they had to like walk him out this old man 30 years later and say you're done the the war's over and you can stand down now soldier and until then the the person would not stop fighting the war it's crazy it's but crazy it's like to the mindset us. of getting yeah. into that mindset and understanding it because we see that moment and from from our perspective we're like what we're amazed right we're we're just kind of like wide-eyed at this idea and then he takes a step back and says let's talk about Japan yeah. let's talk about all of the things that wrap together and how the politics and the place come together to make this situation I think that's one thing hardcore history is really good at is here in the west we have a certain historical narrative that we all grow up on and that's a perspective that we hear but we don't necessarily see things from the other perspective and it's not even a case of like reinterpreting history it's just like we don't ever hear the japanese side of what's even going on with them um he did another one that was called ghost of the ost front which is about the russian and um nazi conflict in world war ii which we don't just don't learn about in the states that war between Germany and Russia that happens during World War II is actually the biggest war by itself in the history of the planet. Just those two, if you took out everything else that happened in World War II, it's crazy, but we just don't learn about that in the West very much. Yeah. And that's something that Dan's really, really good at, and it's really interesting. So hardcore history, um, I cannot, I, honestly, like you, if you're listening to this show and not hardcore history, you should flip those things and listen to <laughs> hardcore history instead of this show. That's how much <laughs> I love it. Uh, another show you should listen to, but it's third on the list. Sorry, guys, is the Masters of Modern Podcast. Alex Kessler <laughs> and Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. In fact, they've started doing video podcasts recently. So if you go to YouTube and you type in the Masters of Modern on the search bar, you'll find them. They really do know their stuff about the modern format. And also, while I'm here, while you're in that search bar, you should type in Jumbo Commander and check out DJ's channel because you're here and you clearly like Commander content and DJ does a ton of Commander content 
deck techs and all kinds of other stuff. I'm going to be going deep into Commander 2018 because it's Christmas for us, guys. We are enjoying all of this stuff, so I'm going to be breaking down so many decks. Just stay tuned to Jumbo Commander. Subscribe because I'm going to be putting out crazy amounts of videos in a weird schedule. So go over there and make sure that you're subscribed so you can see the new videos coming out. Yeah, hit that little bell icon so that it'll tell you when a new video comes out. All right. Uh, so we have a lot of videos coming out. And so during our Commander coverage for Commander 2018, we've got a team of editors working on all of these episodes, including Craig Blanchett, Terry Robertson, and Josh Murphy. Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card Animations at Living Cards MTG. What do we got today? Pendlehaven. Love it. Pretty sweet. Love it. Thanks, Jeffrey. And thank you, Craig, Terry, and Murphy. Or Josh. It's hard to have two Joshes Murph. in the office. Murph. You didn't do it. Murph. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Murph. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>